Welcome to the Gnostic Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sid Ropp. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. This is a very exciting episode this week because we are nearing the end of the simple explanation of the Gnostic Gospel. In fact, this may be the last episode in the series. And we're getting to the part where we all go to heaven, so (laughs) it should be a very interesting episode. Pleroma is a common word in Gnostic scriptures, and it has a particular meaning that only relates to the Gnostic Gospels. In fact, we Gnostics are expecting to wind up at the end of days in a pleroma that others usually call heaven. Today I'd like to take a closer look at pleromas in order to discover where we all came from and where we will wind up at the end of days. Pleroma is a Greek word for all that which is contained within a body or organization. The pleroma of the fullness of God is the pleroma we most often refer to here at Gnostic Insights. The pleroma of the fullness of God is the sum total of all the individual characteristics and powers of the originating consciousness of the Father, as manifested in the monad known as the Son. Here is how the Pleroma of the Fullness is described in the Tripartite Tractate. Quote, each one of the eons is a name, that is, each of the properties and powers of the Father, since he exists in many names, which are intermingled and harmonious with one another. It is possible to speak of him because of the wealth of speech, just as the Father is a single name because he is a unity, yet is innumerable in his properties and names. End quote. This first differentiation of the properties contained in the sun is known as the all or the totalities. The pleroma of the all is pictured as a central star with rays going out in all directions, yet unified without personal identity within the single body and will of the Son, S-O-N. When the totalities of the all become self-aware, they name themselves and sort themselves into the pleroma of the hierarchy of the fullness of God. Quote, The aeon of the truth, since it is a unity and multiplicity, receives honor in the small and the great names according to the power of each to grasp it, by way of analogy like a spring, which is what it is, yet flows into streams and lakes and canals and branches, or like a root spread out beneath trees and branches with its fruit, or like a human body, which is partitioned in an indivisible way into members of members, primary members, and secondary, great and small. 
My illustration of the pleroma of the fullness of God looks like a pyramidal stack of golden cannonballs. This passage tells us that the eon of the truth, which is another word for the fullness or pleroma of God, goes forth by way of fractal branching. Now, you can review the concept of fractals by looking back to the Gnostic Insights episode called A Fractal Model of Human Nature, posted May 18th, 2021, which you can find at GnosticInsights.com under the tab Complete Episodes Library. I'm also linking it in the transcript of this episode. The Pleroma of Logos is the sum total of all of the fractals of the eons of the fullness that exist as fractal iterations within the body of the eon known as Logos. Quote, This eon was among those to whom was given wisdom so that he could become pre-existent in each one's thought. By that which he wills, will they be produced. Therefore, he received a wise nature in order to examine the hidden basis, since he is a wise fruit. For the free will, which was begotten with the totalities, was a cause for this one, such as to make him do what he desired, with no one to restrain him. End quote. My illustration for the Pleroma of Logos is to show Logos as a miniature copy of the fullness of God sitting at the top of the fullness. Quote, This eon was the last to have been brought forth by mutual assistance, and he was small in magnitude. And, before he begot anything else for the glory of the will and in agreement with the totalities, he acted magnanimously from an abundant love, and set out toward that which surrounds the perfect glory. End quote. So, this wise fruit called Logos left the fullness and fell out of harmony with the other eons, creating this apparently material world. Quote, the Logos himself caused it to happen, being complete and unitary, for the glory of the Father whom he desired. And he did so being content with it, but those whom he wished to take hold of firmly he begot in shadows and copies and likenesses. For he was not able to bear the sight of the light, but he looked into the depth and he doubted. Out of this there was a division. He became deeply troubled, and a turning away because of his self-doubt and division, forgetfulness and ignorance of himself and of that which is. End quote. The pleroma of the demiurge consists of the inversions of the pleroma of logos, broken out of the hierarchical pattern and scattered willy-nilly throughout the cosmos. The pleroma of the demiurge is not an orderly pyramidal stack, but rather a chaotic jumble of dark shadows. Quote, like the pleromas are the things which came into being from the arrogant thought, which are there the pleromas, likenesses, copies, shadows, and phantasms, lacking reason and the light, these which belong to the vain thought, since they are not products of anything. Therefore, their end will be like their beginning. From that which did not exist, they are to return once again to that which will not be. They thought of themselves that they were beings existing by themselves, and they are without a source. 
since they do not see anything else existing before them. Therefore, they lived in disobedience and acts of rebellion, without having humbled themselves before the one because of whom they came into being, and that would be the Logos who fell. They wanted to command one another, overcoming one another in their vain ambition, while the glory which they possess contains a cause of the system which was to be. See, so even though they fell out of the fallen Logos, they still possessed a reflection of the original glory of the eons of which they were imitations. And it is that glory which is the cause of the economy which was to be, that being our apparently material universe. Quote, They are like likenesses of the things which are exalted. They were brought to a lust for power in each one of them, according to the greatness of the name of which each is a shadow, each one imagining that it is superior to his fellows. Logos was horrified by what he had produced because they would not recognize his authority. Logos abandoned the deficiency below and quickly returned to the pleroma of the fullness. The one whom he himself brought forth as a unitary eon rushed up to that which is his, and this kin of his in the pleroma abandoned him who came to be in the defect, along with those who had come forth from him in an imaginary way, since they are not his. End quote. Him who came to be in the defect is the name we call the Demiurge, and it is the authority that rules the defect. Those who came forth from him in an imaginary way are the archons of the deficiency, as well as the inert material world, or what I refer to as the hard and rocky places. The reason we focus so much on the eons of the fullness, and Logos in particular, here at Gnostic Insights, is because the pleroma of any living creature is the sum total of the pleroma of the Demiurge, our material or hylic part that makes up our physical bodies, and the pleroma of Logos after his return to the fullness, when he prayed alongside the eons to bring life to the deficiency he had caused. Quote, The Logos turned to another opinion and another thought. Having turned away from evil, he turned toward the good things. Following the conversion, came the thought of the things which exist and the prayer for the one who converted himself to the good. The one who is in the pleroma was what he first prayed to and remembered, and that, by the way, is the one self, his fractal of the sun. Then he remembered his brothers individually and yet always with one another, which is to say, each individual eon in its place and position in the pleroma of the fullness. Then he remembered all of them together, that is, the totality of the fullness as a single pleroma. But before all of them, the Father, and that would be the originating source from which all consciousness flows. The prayer of the agreement among these nested fractal consciousnesses was a help for him in his own return and in that of the totality, for a cause of his remembering those who have existed from the first was his being remembered. This is the thought which calls out from afar, bringing him back. End quote. 
Since we second-order powers are fractal iterations of this logos, newly restored to the fullness, the path of remembrance is exactly the same for us as it was for logos. We fractally replicate the powers from which we were created. This pleroma of ours is called the second order of powers, and we proceed out of the pleroma of logos. We second order powers were created through the totalities of the original fullness, giving glory to the Father alongside logos. Together, they prayed with an intention to send life into the fallen world below. We came forth as fruit from the pleroma of logos, and the pleroma of logos was itself a fractal of the fullness. We are called second order powers to distinguish us from the first order powers, the eons of the fullness, out of which we are fractal iterations twice removed. Quote, all the spiritual places are in spiritual power, and that is referring to the pleromas above. They are separate from the beings of the thought, we second-order powers, since the power is established in an image, which is that which separates the pleroma from the logos. In other words, power flows from the original images contained within the fullness of God. While the power which is active in prophesying about the things which will be, and that's referring to a particular eon who embodies the concept of one who prophesies, directs the beings of the thought which have come into being, us, toward that which is preexistent, and it does not permit them to mix with the things which have come into being through a vision of the things which are with him. End quote. Meaning, the spirit of prophecy impels us upward, but does not impart to us its power. Quote, the beings of the thought, which is outside, are humble. They preserve the representation of the pleromatic, especially because of the sharing in the names by which they are beautiful. End quote. Which is a very lovely way of saying that we second-order powers share the names and faces of the eons of the fullness. And, because of that, we are beautiful. Our second-order nature is good and, quote, greater than those of the likeness. For those belonging to the likeness also belong to a nature of falsehood, end quote. Those belonging to the likeness are imitations of the eons, but lack their depth, power, and nature. They are not fractals of the eon of truth. And while we come from the good thought, we tend to forget our true nature because of the law of mutual combat arising from this never-ending war against the imitations of the deficiency. Thus, we have forgotten ourselves and need to remember. The vehicle for our remembrance is Christ and the third order of powers within the pleroma of Christ. Quote, the order which was his, in other words, the pleroma of Christ, came into being from him who ran on high and that which brought itself forth from him and from the entire perfection. The one who ran on high and that is Logos, who returned to the realm above, became for the one who was defective, that is the Demiurge, 
an intercessor with the emanation of the eons which had come into being in accord with the things which exist. Again, that would be us second-order powers, because we are emanations of that which exists above. And, because of the fractal nature of creation, the mechanism of redemption of the Demiurge is the same mechanism for our redemption as well. Quote, When he prayed to them, they consented joyously and willingly, since they were in agreement and with harmonious consent to aid the defective one. They gathered together, asking the Father with beneficent intent that there be aid from above, from the Father, for his glory, since the defective one could not become perfect in any other way, unless it was the will of the pleroma of the Father, which he had drawn to himself, revealed, and given to the defective one. Then, from the harmony, in a joyous willingness which had come into being, they brought forth the fruit, which was a begetting from the harmony, a unity, a possession of the totalities, revealing the countenance of the Father, of whom the eons thought as they gave glory and prayed for help for their brother with a wish in which the Father counted himself with them. Thus, it was willingly and gladly that they bring forth the fruit." Not only did the eons generate the countenance of the Father to whom they gave praise, but also they generated their own. For the eons who give glory generated their countenance and their face. They were produced as an army for him, as for a king. Since the beings of the thought have a powerful fellowship and an intermingled harmony. They came forth in a multifaceted form, in order that the one to whom help was to be given might see those to whom he had prayed for help. He also sees the one who gave it to him. End quote. So you see by this passage, the Christ possesses fractals of all of the other pleromas and powers, from the totalities as the undifferentiated all, from the eons of the fullness as individual countenances, from the Father above all gods as his countenance, which is to say the monad known as the Son, and from the pleroma of Logos and all of his fractal faces as well as the Demiurge, his ego who fell. The pleroma of the Christ is the pleroma of Logos plus the pleroma of the fullness, plus the monad of the Son, all together offering glory to the Father and praying for full salvation and restoration of the ego of Logos, the Demiurge, and we second-order powers. This pleroma of the Christ is called the third order of powers. Quote, and he made manifest the agreement of the revelation of his union with them, which is his beloved Son, the one who is properly called Savior, and the Redeemer, and the Well-Pleasing One, and the Beloved, the one to whom prayers have been offered, and the Christ, and the light of those appointed, in accordance with the ones from whom he was brought forth, since he has become the names of the positions which were given to him. Yet what other name may be applied to him except the Son, S-O-N, 
since he is the knowledge of the Father whom he wanted them to know. End quote. In my illustrations, I picture the Christ as a singular light source that embodies the attributes of the Father and Son. The pleroma of the Christ is known as the third order of powers. These are not arrayed in a hierarchical stack like the eons of the fullness, but rather as a central star that emanates rays after the pattern of the original all or totalities of the sun, for they have no personal identities and only live to serve the mission of the Christ. The tripartite tractate says in verses 123 and 124, quote, The final restoration, however, will take place after the all has manifested in him who is the Son, for the redemption began to be given among the humans who were in the flesh with his firstborn and his love, the Son coming in the flesh, and the angels who were in heaven having been found worthy of forming a community, a community in him on earth. End quote. The most accurate interpretation of these verses is that the angels were literally incarnated inside the body of Jesus, forming a community in him, living and dying with him. In the same way, all of our cells work as an integrated community inside each of us, devoted to taking care of the needs of our bodies. The pleroma of the Christ on earth brings with it fractals of everybody in the pleromas of the totalities, the fullness, and logos. Christ is the manifestation of the fullnesses of the God above all gods, the Holy Spirit, born into the material body of the Demiurge. Quote, As for the true baptism into which the members of the all descend and where they come into being, there is no other baptism except the one and that is the redemption which takes place in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, after confession of faith has been made in those names, and after one has believed that the things one has been told are real. The end goal of redemption is return to the Father's abode, that paradise initially dreamed by the fullnesses, where there is no death, no disease, no disappointment, and no deficiencies. When scriptures say that we will return to the paradise where Christ is king, that refers to our eternal place within the pleroma of the all-encompassing Christ. Even those who currently align themselves with the demiurge's lust for power and domination will receive the recompense of good things. Here's what the tripartite tractate says about the end days for those who currently deny the Father and the Christ. Quote, As for those of the imitation who embrace the darkness and deny the light, even they will obtain direct vision, so they will no longer have to believe only on account of a small word produced by a voice that this is how things are. For the restoration back to that which was is a single restoration, even if some are exalted because of this economy having been set up as causes for the things that happened, unfolding numerous physical forces and taking pleasure in them. They, angels as well as humans, will obtain the kingdom, the confirmation, and the salvation, 
These two will be provided with dwelling places where they will dwell eternally after they have renounced the downward attraction of deficiency and the power of the fullness has pulled them upward on account of the great generosity and the sweetness of the preexistent. End quote. The only forms banished to the outer darkness are those attributes of the deficiency that did not exist from the beginning, the shadows and phantoms of the imitation that bring nothing but death and destruction. These are shadows of the eons. So when the light comes, the light dispels the shadows and they vanish. And there you have the completed cycle of Gnostic cosmology. The place above that we second-order powers dimly remember as paradise, and to which we will return, will be within the Pleroma of the Christ. That eternal place is called the Third Economy. The First Economy was the Pleroma of the Fullness of God. The Second Economy, as a mixed creation of the Pleromas of Logos and his fallen ego, the Demiurge. The third economy will be an ongoing paradise where there is no death or destruction, where peace reigns supreme and there is only cooperation, fellowship, and true love. In paradise, there is nothing but life, and so the grass is always green. The flowers blossom endlessly, and every soul that has ever lived lives happily with their family pets, and friends. So there you go. Can I get an amen? So until next week, God bless us all, and remember, onward and upward.